I sometimes think that we, in the church, can, we're walking this difficult line between healing, which we know and trust is available in Christ, who's the healer, and the reality of our fragility and our brokenness now, and the fact that many of us just aren't healed. And, you know, I just wanted to take a moment just to kind of bring voice to that, because, you know, it, it's, it's irreverent and irresponsible to talk about Jesus and not talk about healing. Yeah, I think it's also irreverent and irresponsible to talk about healing without acknowledging the reality that some people aren't healed in this life. And, and, and by acknowledging this tension, I think I want to point out the fact that if we're not healed, it's not because we lack faith in Christ, or we don't, it's not that we don't love Christ, or, or stand in the place of his promise in our lives. There's mystery in healing. I pray for a lot of people for healing, and I see some people healed and some people not healed, and I can't answer that mystery, and I'm sure we've all wrestled with that same question about suffering and healing and, and, and frustration. And I think it's particularly important in a conference like this to encourage us all to stand in the tension of those things. You know, actually, your life doesn't start when you're healed. Your life starts in faith when you meet with Christ. And, and I, I just want you to know that there isn't a sort of, in our minds, there's not a first-class Christian view and a second-class Christian. You know, the first-class Christian gets healed and the second-class Christian limps on until eternity. That's not, what, that's not how we view it. Actually, Paul had this thorn in the flesh. It might have been leprosy. It might have been a visual uh, issue. Some scholars think he had a sort of ocular problem. He might have been blind, and that's why Jesus mentioned him being led forward uh, by the hand to places that he didn't want to go. But whatever Paul's problem was, he definitely prayed about it, and he prayed for healing from it, and yet he didn't receive the healing. And some of us here today will have heard things this morning, uh, maybe you'll hear things this afternoon, which make you think, ah, but... I'm not healed. And I, and I, I weirdly, I maybe you know, find this uncomfortable, but as someone with an anxiety problem, you get slightly obsessive. I can get slightly obsessive about healing. I become slightly obsessed about healing. Like the only thing that's important is getting healed. When actually the only thing that's important is living authentically with Christ at the center. So if you're here today and you, know, you find yourself leaning towards that kind of healing agenda in your mind, I'm not suggesting for a minute we shouldn't have that in our minds. Who wouldn't want that in their minds? But equally, the value of you is in you. Christ called you, you're precious, you're appointed as a son and, or a daughter and an heir of Christ. And whether you carry on in the body struggling like Paul did, or whether you find yourself released in the body or the mind as, as Paul didn't, then you're still a precious child of God and you live in that tension moving forward. Is that okay? I just want to say that because otherwise... Some people look on and, you know, it's another testimony about somebody who's a crack addict for 20 years and now suddenly they're free and never going to struggle again, which is, you know, nice, but doesn't happen to everyone. Now, one of my friends has been struggling for a while. Catherine, come up and join me. This is Catherine. She's a good friend of mine. You probably know her. And she, I want her to be known through who she actually is, which is Catherine Welby-Roberts, not just the Archbishop of Canterbury's daughter. Um, but you've seen her recently, maybe on Newsnight, and um, she's done quite a few media things. Catherine, you can speak into that microphone, I think. Hello. Sorry. I wasn't being tallest by putting Thanks. it like that. <laughs> okay. Um, Catherine, just share with people a little bit about when you first kind of began to realise that you were struggling with anxiety slash depression. So I was a teenager, my late teens, um, when I was actually diagnosed. Um, but looking back, I think hindsight is a wonderful thing. And uh, looking back... I'd say it started in my mid-teens and uh, I gradually just sank into a world that lived 
solely in my head and wasn't a very happy place. Um, and yeah, it's been ongoing since really. And on that journey, obviously, w what stage did you say you had a personal faith in Jesus? Where, where was that, where was the kind of line for you? Um, so, obviously, my dad is a clergyman. I was brought up in a Christian family. Um, and I think my faith has been on and off pretty much throughout my life. So I guess I would have always said I was a Christian um, for the whole of the last 10 years. But I think that the point at which I began to relax into that and really trust in that and not be afraid or guilty or, or ashamed of the fact that, that I clearly wasn't the best Christian ever um, was only in the last kind of five years or so. And, and just to help people, how, how would you say like, that you interacted your faith and your depression and anxiety? How is it, how, it positively interplayed to start with? Um, well, to, to, to start with, it was a very negative interaction. Okay. So to start with, it was a, a, a very painful conflict that didn't seem to fit. And I think as I've settled into the acknowledgement that I'm ill, I'm not, not broken, not weak, not a failure, not some kind of fraud, um, living some kind of false life. I think I've accepted that as an illness in myself. And the more that I'm able to say, actually, that's an illness that, that is being treated medically, um, I've begun to be able to recognize that, that God's strength comes where I am weak. You know, that's, that's actually where he's been able to use me the most powerfully. It's, it's where, you know, he's come into my sensitivity and um, my pain, and he's stayed with me when a lot of other people haven't. Um, and he has been the only constant, uh, never, never leaving. And so I think... Um, that negative association of God and my mental health kind of adjusted to become actually God. God is God is the only thing in my mental health that, that makes life exciting and 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 new. And I, so I think it's become a positive thing over over the decade, really. Now there have been times when we've talked a lot about this. Be careful here, because her dad's my boss. Um, <laughs> but there have been times when the church hasn't been helpful. Without, without majoring on that, do you want to kind of just illustrate a few ways in which that has been difficult? Yeah, so church has always been a very painful thing for me until quite recently. And, and also, though, I, I love the church. And so there's, there's always been this conflict because the people that I meet individually um, are so lovely. And then they say something and you're like, seriously, don't, don't say that. And I think that the, the biggest issue for me has been, has been this use of language, this idea that, that you know, so anxiety has been a big thing. I, I, I suffer from uh, quite bad anxiety. I am literally shaking right now. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but the Bible talks about anxiety. And Philippians 4, <laughs> that wonderful verse, uh, pass your anxieties onto God. And, and, and people love to quote that verse at me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I really am. It's just that I'm also medically ill. And so I think that it's that use of language, that, that simplification of, of what is not simple um, that can be so damaging. And actually, when we say life is very complicated and we don't have all the answers, then suddenly the, the doors, God's kind of, the ability to learn so much more from God is opened up. Um, a lot more. Thank you so much, Amos, and share a lot of this story together. Um, you, like 
like us in a way, you have, t have sort of turned the corner in terms of using your struggle to open up faith and opportunity and engagement for so many other people. Wh what was the first point and what happened when you, when you, <laughs> you tell people what happened when you found yourself inadvertently stepping into this whole <laughs> world of being a front person for mental and emotional health? Yeah, so my dad became the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I am the idiot daughter of the Archbishop of Canterbury who tweets really <laughs> stupid stuff and ends up in the papers. So um, the, tea, the tea cozy <laughs> mitre was probably the best. If you didn't see the tea cozy mitre <laughs> shot, then you need to go back on Twitter. Yeah, just Google it, seriously. Look for Catherine Welby and you'll see my tea cozy. It's great. Um, yeah, so I got more spotlight than perhaps my other siblings did because um, I just didn't learn when not to speak. But... Um, no filter. <laughs> uh, and then I wrote a blog on my depression. And, and I, I said to my dad, Dad, I'm going to write this blog. And he was like, OK. And I sent it to him. And I was like, what do you think? He was like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really good. But you know, this, this might get picked up. Um, <laughs> it, it, it did get picked up. Um, and I was on BBC Breakfast. I was interviewed by The Telegraph. I, I featured in quite a few papers um, talking about you know, quite a, well, a very, very painful thing and a very, very vulnerable thing. Um, and all of a sudden, I had, had hundreds and hundreds of people getting in touch saying, I can't believe that someone is speaking about this. Someone who's just normal, you know, like who's not, not what everyone says that mental health is. And, and it struck me as something quite extraordinary because for me, Talking comes naturally. I'm, I'm <laughs> naturally a bit of a yabbermouth. And I think that for me, it, it, it was such a blessing to, to find that actually other people who really struggle to be vulnerable, who, who find that really hard, they suddenly have something that they can relate to um, and someone who's saying the things that they're, that they're thinking. And so I think that just drove me to do a bit more. And that bit more, we've, we've been working together the last couple of years now, that, that bit more is now moving into something a little bit more concrete. Do you want to yeah. just tell people about, about what you're doing with Livability? Yeah, so I work for Livability. We've got a stand downstairs. Come find us in the break. Um, we are partnering up with Mind and Soul to create a mental health access pack um, for which will be a resource for churches and church leaders um, or anyone in leadership within a church to just give a bit of grounded information on, on what mental health is so so kind of things like condition cards what what is depression like what does it look like what what is it um and a few other conditions we'll look into um a few kind of uh theology questions um initially just very basic stuff on theology so it's not so it can be accessible to anybody um, and then just practical advice and 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 resource for people so that actually they can engage with mental health when uh, it comes up in their church. They can, they can engage with people without alienating them, without being scared to speak to them in case, you know, they say the wrong thing. And, and, and just, just to try and make it a little bit less scary, really. So this pack will be online in the new year. We're going to launch it on Blue Monday, which is obviously the bluest day of the year, apparently, statistically. Um, and this pack is going to be a resource for every church. It's going to be on a really unbranded microsite, not on Livability's or Minosol's site. 
and it's a free resource for every church leader in the UK. And every diocese will receive a copy and every single parish will have a link to that and will be able to access that to promote uh, the sort of access that livability is famous for, for disabled people, for people struggling with mental health issues. So that's our plan sort of moving forward. And we'd love you to prayerfully get behind that project, both in propagating it, using it, sharing it, talking about it and supporting it in any way that you can. So that's, that's all to come forward. So I, I would love just, if we, you know, with your agreement, to pray for Catherine because in my mind she's straddling the kind of media slash very public position that she's in and, and God's given her a real anointing for this. And I think it's really important that we protect her in prayer. We ask God to stand with us. Can we pray now? Is that good? Is that okay with you? Yeah, I might kick, cry. She'll kill me afterwards. <laughs> anyway, let's pray for her. Jesus, thank you so much for Catherine. And Lord, thank you that you've raised her up at this time for your glory. And we want to pray, Father, just for you to strengthen her, bless her, Lord, give her incredible wisdom for how she speaks, particularly in the media. We thank you for that amazing Newsnight report that she did with Tim just last week. And we pray that that will have a transformative effect on many people's lives. We pray for her and Mike in their marriage. Pray for you to bless them. Give them a great season of favour in your precious name. Amen. 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 Catherine, we give her a massive round of applause. Catherine, thank you so much.